And after a week break, we're back. Welcome everyone to another episode of Bottled Up. My name is Oshwal and I am delighted to host you guys for the final episode of season one. Time has flown, but today I sit down with a very special guest, Jen DeMello. She's a doctor specializing in mental health and we dive deep into her experiences, not only during the pandemic, but just more generally. We try to understand the idea of stigma in men's mental health and where it's actually derived from. So. Yeah, really insightful conversation, and I'm sure you guys will learn a thing or two. So, yeah, enjoy. Jen, welcome to Bottled Up. Thanks so much for being a part of Season 1. This is our final episode for Season 1, so really excited to have you on and share your experiences. So, to start things off, I wanted to uh, give the floor to you for for a bit and, you know, give us an introduction on who you are Mm -hmm. and how you're doing today. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Oji. Very excited to be part of the final episode of season one. Um, that's a pretty big achievement for you guys. So well done. Um, I am, so I'm uh, working in mental health. Um, I, uh, I am a uh, doctor, so I specialize, I'm kind of uh, wanting to specialize in mental health as my you know, particular subspecialty. Uh, but I started my career kind of wanting to do more general uh, medicine and that's what I, you know, obviously studied in uni and yeah, so I have been kind of working in two different teams this year whilst COVID has been happening, which it still is. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly been a, a very challenging year for everyone. I think we can all agree. <laughs> Um, but it has been a, a big learning experience and, you know, it's, uh, I guess something good to come out of this year is this podcast and the conversations we're having around mental health. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity. Uh, I'm excited to like dive into these experiences because from the outside, we hear a lot on the news about how mental health has been impacted by this, by this virus, but it'll be be very insightful to hear it from the inside from someone who's actually you know day in day out going through the the indus- going into the industry and seeing the first hand effects how it must be mm. was it overwhelming at first like when the when the virus first hit in melbourne that you had to go to work every day and you know the effects were right in front of you it was definitely interesting because i mm. uh funnily enough even though i'm someone who you know works in healthcare, um i'm definitely a bit of a uh, you know, illness phobe. I'm a bit of a, a, a worrier yeah. about um, the, the whatever's uh, whatever's out there. So um, mm. it was from a you know trying to be you know use your precautions and um, hand hygiene, mask wearing, and stuff. Uh, that was that was interesting because I you, you really with with a virus that's so small, you can't yeah. really guarantee that you've protected yourself. So that was very nerve-wracking, going into work, expecting this huge, huge wave of people just flooding in everywhere. I was certainly catastrophizing. I think everyone was catastrophizing at that point. Um, And thankfully, it hasn't gone like that um, at this stage, touch wood. But what I think the, the most overwhelming thing uh, was that it just became incredibly quiet for a while. Um, we saw oh. with, with our first lockdown, our mental health presentations, there was just a very strange stillness. I think people were, mm. you know, confined to their living spaces or if they were living in a facility or wherever they were living. Um, people didn't have maybe access to the the resources that are usually available or to transport um so maybe if you know if people were needing health care they, they couldn't access it on the other hand mm. um you know uh, I, I suppose uh, perhaps some people weren't out and about or exposed to substances or, or things that you know can can affect their mental health um, so yeah, we, we definitely saw a big drop in, in presentations. I was working in the emergency setting at the time, um, seeing wow. people presenting with, with, uh, mental health issues. Uh, and then over, over the last couple of, couple of months, um, 
the numbers have certainly picked up and I'm in a different team now. I'm not no longer working in emergency, but um, yeah, we, we started to see that uh, pretty much everyone who came in could identify some aspect uh, of their life or their mental health that was affected um, by COVID, whether it was, you know, they couldn't see their psychologist or, um, mm. or you know, finances, losing their jobs, being stuck at home with their family. Sometimes yeah. that, you know, it's not, not always a great thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was very interesting and challenging, I think, for even for healthcare workers because we were all affected as well in various ways. Um, so we certainly all had to work together, had to kind of put our fears aside and confront it. Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, it, it has been a, a quite a challenging year in terms of work, but yeah. I feel pretty privileged to have a job to go to. And, you know, um, I haven't certainly haven't been affected to the degree that uh, a lot of people have. So um, just, yeah, trying to be grateful for that. Yeah, I think for anyone working in the mental health space right now, I think that it's a very courageous thing to do and you're working in a really profound time. So I think it's amazing the work you're doing for sure. And I never realized that there was actually a drop at first and then it's gone gone up because in, in mm. the media, it, it comes across as everything's spiked up, uh, you know, in the last few months because of the lockdown. But it's interesting that actually it started off lower. Mm. I certainly think that uh, it's it's definitely not that the prevalence of mental illness changed. I, mm. I mean, I was working in an emergency department of a hospital, and so we saw, and I don't even know if this is statewide or countrywide, what um, mm. we saw a drop in the number of people coming in every day for a period of time. Yeah. But certainly, you know, I have heard things like that the suicide rate uh, climbed and. Um, of course, it would have been a, a very difficult time for people struggling with things like anxiety and depression. Mm. We all experienced that loss of routine, of control um, over our lives and um, perhaps people's different ways of coping uh, had to change. Um, perhaps yeah. people were more isolated. And so I, I definitely think that, you know, unfortunately, there, there are probably a lot of people out there suffering um, without the access to the, the help that they needed. But yeah, it was it was very, uh, I guess, contrary to what we were all expecting, uh, what we saw at the time. Uh, now things have have changed, and they're definitely getting busy again. Yeah. Yeah, it's good that we're on the right path. Because I thought if if you're like really scared of the virus and you're afraid to leave home, you're mm. likely to perhaps put away other other things that might be harming your health. And you know, it's mm. very obvious that mm. mental health could be put in the back when you're just worried about staying safe and isolating from everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that was that was a concern for a lot of us. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm a, I can be a bit of a, a germaphobe sometimes. So it was definitely challenging for me to, to go out to work in this place that I'm potentially exposed um, to a higher degree. Uh, so yeah, I think everyone kind of went into survival mode and, um, yep. we've just had to stay the course. How did you deal with like being a germaphobe or like being a bit worried? Cause it sounds like, like that would be very difficult going into. Well, yeah, I, I, it's hard when, you know, we, we don't know everything about the virus and, uh, we don't know exactly what it sounds very contagious and how quickly it spreads. Um, but yeah just trying to be super thorough with hand hygiene mask wearing disinfecting things you know even your groceries and stuff you go oh my god i can't possibly disinfect everything um so yeah just hoping <laughs> hoping that you don't come into contact with it but um yeah it i guess when you when you work in health you kind of you kind of have to go to work and uh you know you may be forced to confront those fears and just have faith in your ability to keep yourself safe and everyone else's ability to to keep themselves and each other safe. Um, mm. Yeah, so yeah, interesting challenge <laughs> for me at least. Uh, it'd definitely be full of growth and there'll be some valuable lessons from there. Mm. And, and you mentioned that when you're studying in, in a field like mental health, you're 
delving deep into the mind. Has that been like an interesting relationship for you to feel that you need to understand that for yourself? Yeah, I, I'm pretty early in my career and mm. uh, it's, it's definitely posed its challenges. I mean, um, I really do enjoy working in mental health. I find it very challenging. Mm. Um, you know, I, I feel quite fortunate that I, I get to work with some very vulnerable people in our community. Um, and, you know, there are times where, um, although you're, I think pretty soon after you start working in mental health, you're kind of able to desensitize yourself or you become desensitized, uh, to the gravity of, of people's stories. Um, you do, I mean, you, you do have to maintain empathy and I think that's a very important part of working in that area. Um, but... I, I, yeah, one of the challenges I noticed is that sometimes certain patients or certain stories will kind of, uh, I don't know, trigger a memory of your own or um, maybe an unpleasant mm. one and you find yourself um, identifying in a way with that particular symptom or that, you know, the issue uh, that that patient has. And yeah. so it becomes a challenge then not to feel that, um, you know, not to let that kind of penetrate your um, your, your, your professional uh, approach. Um, so I think for, you know, for me at least, I've had certain mm. things that I haven't really, or maybe I haven't dealt with or things from mm. my past that I haven't really, you know, resolved. Um, so there have definitely been times where, um, where that's been challenged and I have, I've found that, well, I've started getting my own therapy, um, my own psychotherapy, which I found an incredibly valuable experience for myself. Um, And, you know, it it does help for work, uh, certainly. But yeah, that's been very, very, very eye opening. And um, I've, I was actually going through it for about a year. And then I had to stop in around April of this year, just as COVID, you know, started to hit, we went into lockdown. Um, because my, my therapist had relocated somewhere else. Um, so we had to finish up, unfortunately. And that kind of, I guess, in, in the context of such an uncertain year um, and also being in lockdown, you're forced into this, this state where you're also reflecting a lot on your own and you've got all this time. Um, it, yeah, it left me with, I think, a, a bit of extra anxiety and, um, you know, you, you've started to develop insight and um, work through some of your problems but you haven't quite got there so um so yeah that's that's certainly been quite draining and and quite difficult so um i recently decided to start up again and so yeah i've I've had my first appointment last week and it's been fantastic i mean i've had one appointment but um the whole experience overall has been super valuable to me and and it's it's an area that I'm also kind of, I've got a bit of an interest in myself as well. Um, yep. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to go through that experience. Challenging, but, but very interesting and helpful. Yep. Yeah, I think that, that, that resonates with so many people because it's like anything where you have to sacrifice something at first. I imagine it'd be very difficult at first to have the courage to do something that initially feels uncomfortable to you know, encounter those thoughts, to be with them and realize why they're there. But at the other side, it seems like now that you're doing this therapy, it's rewarding and it's helping you through these difficult times, yeah? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. For me, it started, I mean, the reason I made the decision was because um, I started to notice uh, a pattern of, you know, things going wrong in my life or, you know, decisions I was making or interactions I was having um, you know, anxiety and, and things like that, that I was experiencing that, you know, did start to affect different areas of my life. It, it was affecting my work, it was affecting my relationships, mm. it was affecting my, my day-to-day activities and, and how I saw myself. So um, it, it does, for a lot of people, get to a bit of a crisis point where you think, I, I really have to do something about this. And I'd probably say for me, that's also what happened. Even though I work in mental health and I'm always, you know, encouraging people to to go and seek help and to to 
you know, to commit to treatment. It can be very hard to do that yourself. It's definitely easier yeah. said than done, but it's made me realize that, you know, oh, I, I didn't have to put up with that. That was just something I was carrying that I didn't have to, or, you know, that what happened in the past, that wasn't my fault. Um, you know, these symptoms that I'm experiencing, it's not, it's not me. Um, so why do I need to put up with it? I don't. Um, it does require a, a, a definite kind of commitment. You've got to be really committed yeah. to work on your issues. Um, so I think that between understanding that you need to do something about it and actually making the step, that can be a lot of thinking and a lot of time. Um, but once you do it, it's just, yeah, oh, I recommend it to, to everyone to, uh, if, you know, if, if anyone is experiencing any kind of, um, hardship, any anxiety or depression or, or trauma or anything like that, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to put up with it. You don't have to, to carry it with you all the time. And, you know, sometimes mm. we might feel like we have control over it and we can deal with things ourselves or we can sort it out but um, sometimes it will inevitably leach into different aspects of your life and um, and for me that was when I realized that oh, I actually had to go out and do something about it. And with, with the psychotherapy I guess as, as a science student I've found it very very interesting to understand how, how it works you know starting back in you know the Freud days and I guess mm. the subconscious <laughs> mind, it's so, it's so powerful. Do you think it links back to like early childhood or back in the early days when a lot of mm. your initial thoughts are, you know, that template of life, that's when it's formed. Is, is there a link to that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the yeah. type of therapy I've been getting is called psychodynamic psychotherapy um, or psychoanalytic okay. psychotherapy. And that, that is really, I mean, there are lots of different psychological um, treatments you can get. Um, out there but that is the the one that I've been having and that focuses on the unconscious mind and how it affects your you know thoughts feelings decisions um, mm. and yeah I, I guess the theory is that when when you are very young and you know throughout your early life you do learn things that form a kind of a template um, for how you live your life uh and so you know you can be in your 40s and 50s and you're still you know, going through the same patterns or still um you still have these same unconscious beliefs about yourself or about other people uh, and when i say unconscious i mean you're, you're actually not aware of them um and they they do affect your decisions your feelings your your life so uh it's been quite empowering to understand mm. for me why why I, I think the way that I do or why I make certain decisions. Um, and I do think that it is, it, it can be life-changing, you know, you can uh, realize things about yourself and uh, understand things about yourself. And it's, it's very freeing. It can be, yeah, very empowering. Um, yeah. So I think my, my personal interest is also in early life attachments um, you know, the relationship you have with your parents, I think that's relevant throughout your, your entire life um, because those are the earliest relationships you have. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's very interesting to see or to think about how deep an effect it can have on you when you're an adult, um, even though you're you know, beyond the stage of childhood and, and dependence. I guess for context for audience, this isn't like the first time we've talked and you mentioned these ideas before. And I remember reading a study quite recently um, and I, th I thought of what you were saying to me last time because this idea of our childhoods being so significant, it was, uh, it was a study uh, over, over, of 75 years um, and they were studying 75 years worth of um, people's experiences, I guess, uh, over their lifetime. And mm. one of the key findings was that the relationship you have with your parents at a young age is actually more important than things that happen in your 30s and your 40s um, to where you end up in your life and how fulfilled and how you know content you are and I thought like mm. wow so absolutely yeah um, there's the, the human mind is truly amazing I think that's why one of the reasons that I feel uh, so interested in it, I've made it you know my my job <laughs> yeah. 
um, is because I, I find it very fascinating and very complex and uh, there, I, I do think there is a lot that we don't understand um, about the human mind and uh, often we go through life not understanding a lot about ourselves. <laughs> um, so yeah, very interesting, very, very interesting. And, and I guess like what you mentioned about, about how it all starts with these beliefs and our actions and our thoughts form the way that we think about certain issues without even realizing them. It, it, it's also true for mental health, isn't it? It's something that we learn at a very young age to, we, or we may learn to not think about in, in certain ways and that's happened like mm. unconsciously hasn't it like that's where mm. this idea mm. starts of stigma yeah absolutely um I, I i completely agree stigma is you know it's everywhere uh with regards to mental health it's in our community in our families um even in healthcare itself to a degree unfortunately uh and it's very hard to get rid of. I think definitely there's a, a generational effort that's being made to to have more open conversations about mental health and to destigmatize uh, mental illness. Um, but I suppose there's a way. <laughs> there's still a way to go. Um, it is interesting to think about stigma in the context of. Um, family units you know I, I, I definitely feel that my my family um, there has been a degree of stigmatization of mental health or mental health issues uh, without you know without realizing it that you know we, we acknowledge that it's there but um, it's difficult to talk about or we avoid talking about it um, mm. even though it's it's in our family it's it's in our community and um, I think I read recently that up to almost half of people at some stage of their life um, will experience mental illness or, or some form of, of mental health issues at some time in their life. So it's not that it's not there. Uh, yeah. I just think that there's a lot of fear. There is a lot of uncertainty and there's this sense of, I, I think I might be wrong, but there it almost seems that the, the biggest fear that we have with regards to mental illness is losing our identities or losing a sense of control over our life, um, losing who we are. Um, it's quite an unfortunate way to think about mental illness in general, but I suppose we maybe we all do. Um, we don't want to lose our identities or we don't want to lose our autonomy. Um, mm. We don't want to be unwell or sick. So, yeah, um, can understand that, I guess, over the course of history, there's been a lot of stigmatization of, of mental illness. But now I think we're getting to a point where we are getting increasingly comfortable talking about it. Um, and we're more focused, especially, I mean, from a professional perspective, the, the focus mm. now is more on recovery rather than the illness itself. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that there is a medication that can that can cure ev everything or, or anything. Sometimes um, you've got to look at the individual in their own life context and in their own circumstances and with all the stresses and um, you know uh, all the different aspects of their life. Uh, and you've got to focus on their recovery from that perspective rather than looking at the problem, uh, fearing the problem, and trying to tackle the problem without trying to treat the person basically is that something that's changed over like the last few years the the approach to dealing with these issues in in the professional world i i think the recovery model is definitely quite recent as i said i'm pretty early in my career but as far as i've been working for the last last few years in mental health um we have been much more recovery focused um and yeah i guess i'm grateful that i haven't seen um the worst of, I guess, how we, we used to treat uh, our, our people in the community with, with mental illnesses. Um, but we're continuing to learn, uh, we're continuing mm. to understand um, mental illness and I guess that kind of forms our novel ways of, of treating different illnesses and um, yeah, it's a much more holistic approach these days. So uh, yeah, it's nice to be part of that mentality <laughs> I guess yeah. yeah 
That's, that's great to hear. It's, I think it's important to acknowledge at times how much, like how far we've come uh, with mental health in the last, you know, five to ten years and acknowledge that we do talk about these things now um, much, much more than we used to. Um, but we still have to also realise there is a lot of work to be done and particularly for men's mental health. Um, and obviously it's not a separate issue on its own, like it's still part of this whole framework of mental health. Um, mm. But if we start to break down why, you know, men, you know, typically struggle so much to, to ex- expose themselves, where do you think that conversation starts? Is it, is it still linked to like that early childhood or is, mm. it, is it even deeper than that? That's a good question. For me, it seems that there is a huge cultural component to the way that we view men and understand men's mental health, um, men's mental illnesses. Um, As you said, you know, mental illness, it doesn't discriminate. Every every gender experiences it, but we do see worse outcomes in a lot of illnesses, like a high suicide rate, um, higher rates Mm. of of depression and things like that with... um, with uh, you know between genders um and i think that there are a lot of illnesses that men unfortunately experience to a to a worse degree part of that it it does seem that our cultural expectations of men have a huge um a huge effect on just the way that men maybe experience um or, or understand uh their emotions and and their symptoms there seems to be a lot of, you know, we, we talked about stigma. There seems to be a lot of stigmatization of, of, um, of not just mental illness in general, but of, um, of men experiencing mental illness, uh, which is something that we want to change because it's obviously, you know, it's not working for us. Um, yeah. I, I do think that the concept of, um, of toxic masculinity is very relevant because it highlights these gender norms um, and these expectations that are put onto men from a very early age. So, you know, yes, childhood is is quite relevant here, um, but it does persist throughout life and how we um, expect men to embody these particular traits like, uh, you know, physical strength, uh, stoicism and... um, you know, even violence and aggression and, and, and physicality and not expressing vulnerability in any form, um, including in the emotional sense, uh, that I, I think that does play a big role in, in men's mental health. Um, you know, as well as that kind of general cultural sense, I think um, I don't know, I can only speak from, <laughs> from my own cultural yeah. background, but there seems to be, yeah, I think uh, certain cultural backgrounds that also have a, a very patriarchal uh, way um, and very patriarchal structure. So that, again, that can negatively impact how we see men um, as experiencing emotion. I mean, we all experience emotion. We can't, <laughs> we can't run from yeah. that. Um, but the way that we deal with it or the way that we acknowledge it is very different. Um, so, yeah, I think that perhaps the our kind of patriarchal, I don't know, structure of society has, um, has a bit to do with it. Uh, and also how we treat our kids when they're very young and how we expect them to conform or impose on them these these gender norms that they don't then have to adhere to um sometimes to their detriment so Mm. yeah um i do think that yeah childhood and and cultural factors do have an influence um and of course you know there are biological factors genetic factors but for me personally um i do see nurture as as being a huge huge part and it can sometimes override nature um when you have mm. the the right soup of um, you know of external influences, mm. yeah, it's such a complicated issue. And when you think about it, there's cultural factors, there's all these societal factors, and then on top of that, you have you know the the, the idea of nature and genetics playing into mental health. It, it's so I, I can see why you've dedicated your whole life to to this profession and this field. It's so 
<laughs> it'd be so rewarding, I guess, at the same time as well. And when I think, when I think about you know my personal experiences, and looking back at certain family members and not even direct family, but extended family and a lot of my family, you know, outside of this country in India, I can mm. almost try to connect dots and see where the genetic side of thing comes in and the certain certain inclinations for certain family members. I can I can certainly feel that there is a, a genetic element as part of this. Um, mm. Obviously, there are things that need to be done. Um, other things that can be done to stop that from happening and you can nurture it but it's, it's definitely like a complex interplay um, when it comes to our culture though I think because we're both from the same the same background a South a South Asian background uh, it's so so important that we we break this down I feel because we are like the, the, what you described about the patriarchy and that toxic masculinity it's so prominent in our culture uh, yeah, I think as well as that, um, I think trauma mm. has a big bearing on a lot of um, a lot of families in general. But uh, I'm, mm. I mean, I'm really mostly speaking from my own family and my own cultural experience. Yeah. Um, trauma is something that does get passed down sometimes, not genetically, but yeah. in terms of the way you process it, and or the way you you know you you can't process it, and then. Um, the way you respond to it and uh, your, your kids learn from it and they kind of develop their own ways of thinking and feeling. Um, I think uh, for, I guess, children of immigrant parents, um, uh, there are complex trauma factors that, that play out and um, factors like race and uh, discrimination, mm. um, uh, and even how your family function as a unit, I think um, it it's all, oh, we could go into it <laughs> in yeah. a lot of depth, yeah. but um, it's, it's very interesting to think about your own family and how, um, how various issues are dealt with or how you interact with each member of your family. Um, what are the boundaries and, and what are your responsibilities? Um, I mean... You know, I've heard in, in other episodes of the podcast this concept of being um, the man of the house um, or, you know, yeah. what role do kids play in the, you know, in the family structure? Um, yeah. And what also, you know, where what happens with feelings like guilt or shame? Um, how was that dealt with? How was that felt in the family? You know, um, yeah. It's, I don't want to, I can't, I can't possibly generalize to everyone's experience because yeah, we all course. have very different experiences growing up. But um, yeah, thinking about that kind of stuff, I, I mean, certainly this year has been uh, an interesting year to, to talk about race and racism. Um, I didn't realize personally that racism had such a profound impact on my life because, you know, I've, I've spent most of my life in Australia and we we love to think of Australia as a very multicultural society but mm. unfortunately it can also be a very racist society so um, yeah thinking about the the effect of race culture trauma your parents your childhood your experiences your genetics um, your relationships um, all has a big part in how we experience life, how we respond to problems in our life, um, how we adapt and mm. yeah, how we grow. Mm. It, it is so complicated and I guess in this conversation we can only reflect on our experiences and we can't generalise but I can mm. definitely relate to experiences of racism as well um, mm. in certain points of my schooling life um, and it's weird how they I just stuck in my head like you never really forget them mm. it's it, like I don't think about it every day but when you say something like that I, it just comes straight to my mind like I've experienced that mm. Mm. I think we unfortunately can very easily internalize um, racist ideas or, or racism that's uh, that's you know been projected onto us um, we might experience racism as kids or as adults and can brush it off because it's not, you know, we, it's, it's just stupid. Like what, you know, what yeah. is racism? Um, but 
I think part of us maybe we do internalize that sometimes when it is consistent or persistent, um, when it happens more than once, when our very community is is uh, is functioning in a, a way that uh, almost reinforces it at times. Um, yep. So yeah, it's gosh, it's it's been a very very interesting year this year of personal growth and um, thinking about huge topics like race and and mental illness. Um, I think I've certainly had a, a very a very um, intense <laughs> intense time yeah. reflecting on all, all of these things. Um, yeah. Which I mean, sometimes it's you don't want to be doing that all the time. It's also good to to focus on self-care because these things can be very heavy and, and you know, very upsetting. Um, so, yeah, how how have you gone, Oji, with, I guess, with all of the stressful stuff that's been happening, trying to mm. level things out a bit or staying healthy or um, staying present? Um, how have you found that? So I've actually had a lot of time on my hands. So I was meant to obviously travel this year and instead mm. I've been doing oh. quite the opposite, I've been at home. And what I've realized, and I've mentioned this before, is that when I have all this time or anyone really has so much time, you have to, or you almost tend to ruminate or you tend to think about the same thing over and over again and you're stuck with your thoughts and that's, for anyone, anyone can realize that that's not good for you. So mm. I've tried to find ways to keep me busy um, and a lot of that has been just trying new things. So like I've tried you know, running without music, for example, or trying to form a routine um, with exercise that is different to before. Um, another thing I've tried is changing my diet. Um, mm. So I tried to re reduce, reduce the amount of meat I have. And it's, ju it's just something to keep me a bit occupied, try to you know, keep me more focused and you know, see where I can go in this time and on the other side of COVID. Um, which hopefully is not too far away. Uh, I will, you know, use some of the things that I've learned about myself in the real world when I'm back up to pace. Um, yeah, it's kind of like this idea of having a toolkit. Um, so I'm trying now. I think of it. I'm trying to find the right tools that I can use yeah. um, when when next year comes and I'm working and everything. Mm. So, yeah. Oh man, I just I can't even imagine what it's like to be just about to or starting your career or finishing uni or being in year 12 whatever it is um mm. and having all these plans and just having all your plans kind of change <laughs> um very drastically so yeah no um lots of respect to you uh for trying to adapt and making the most of it i like this idea mm. of um yeah of, of being present and being mindful um, I think uh, in one of your other episodes, um, I think Stefano uh, was the guest on, on that episode and he talked a lot about it and um, that really resonated with me. I, I, I would love to be a more mindful person and, um, you know, things like meditation and just going back to basics um, of self-care, you know, eating, sleep routine, exercising. Uh, for me, historically, that's been a huge challenge trying to get that stuff on track. So mm. yeah, it's, it is, those are all very important tools to me, um, tools mm. that you need to kind of refine and develop, even though they seem very straightforward, but they can have a huge influence on um, how, you, how you deal with things. Nice. I think um, how we adapt to adversities and how we adapt to change, change can be a very uh, destabilizing thing for a lot of people, including myself. Um, mm. So, yeah, how we adapt to change is, is very important. Um, it's a skill that, you know, doesn't come easily to everyone. So it uh, sounds like you've, yeah, you, you've been really working hard at, um, at making the most of the changes that have been brought to you. Um, I do hope that <laughs> your travel plans do go ahead eventually. Um, but, you know, don't have unrealistic expectations for yourself as well. Um, I, mm. uh, it's very, for, for someone who's used to working really hard or uh, for, you know, if you're a perfectionist or if you're uh, used to being super busy, um, 
there is that temptation to set all these goals and to have all these expectations of yourself when you're kind of stuck in a bit of a, a, a state of uncertainty. Um, but yeah, I, I think be kind to yourself as well. And, um, and it sounds like you are doing that through, through all the, the things that you are doing um, and the way that you're using your time. Thanks. Thanks for thanks for mm. that advice. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. I was I, like I was reading something yesterday about this person's take on well-being, and he said, the first thing he said about well-being was, well-being is not about being happy all the time. It's it's more about realizing when you are down, mm. and realizing that you know you can be happy and you can be down. But as long as you know that, because um, I feel like sometimes we get stuck in reading these self-help books or. You see someone mm, like close mm. their eyes and they meditate and like that's perfect, but and then you start you start forcing yourself like I need to be happy all the time or I need to feel like mm. that. <laughs> so, yeah, that that was that was just a thought I had. Yeah, and it kind of reminds yeah. it kind of reminds me of like the way the way we the way this narrative of men's mental health even is formed that we are we're almost conditioned in that same way to always think that as you said before that strength comes from those patriarchal values and those, those values that we, we are um, taught very early on. Um, and the idea of opening up and being vulnerable is almost the opposite to us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, unfortunately, we, um, I have had heard some news recently um, during this period of time uh, that someone mm. quite close uh, that we you know, used to live with um, has passed away. And mm. he did experience um, mental health issues, and uh, there was a point where, because you know I was, I was I was close to this person um, in their life, and uh, we we did have to be quite involved in in making decisions. Um, it really brought a certain perspective to me, um, even with work. Uh, this this understanding of, uh, you know, it, it might seem impossible to, to, to get help or to seek help. It might seem mm. like the most difficult thing in the world. Um, if it is, I think that's when the people around you are very important. Um, you know, I think it is important to acknowledge your feelings and to and to, to communicate them, um, which is a, a huge struggle for a lot of us. But not doing that can kind of set you on a path uh, where things just continue to get worse. And it's important to, not just for yourself, but it's, it's important to keep track of how you're feeling, keep an eye out for yourself, look after yourself. Um, and also to remain aware of, of your loved ones and, and be able to support them uh, to seek help if they do, if, if they do need it. Um, and to, you know, uh, just keep an eye out for other people going through, going through tough times. Um, yeah, I think it, it is great that you are, you, you guys are doing this podcast because uh, these are the conversations that really need to be had more than once, um, which is, I guess, why mm. you've got <laughs> different episodes and stuff. Yeah. But um, it's it is nice to to get everyone's you know a, a range of different perspectives on the issue of um, uh, mental health and men's mental health because uh, yeah we we're all exposed to it at some point in time. Um, mm. We'll all have to deal with it. I'm sure at some point in time, um, so we might as well talk about it because it's yeah. you know it is very relevant. It's relevant to all of us. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry to hear about that that you had that experience and uh, like we've talked about similar stories in other podcasts and I've experienced mm. um, a similar sort of thing. I'm not sure in the de the details, but I guess mm. it, like that it's reminded me of how severe that mental illnesses can. Um, can be at times at, at its worst mm. and like before that ex before I had um, any such experiences I always thought of mental health as being kind of labeled as terms as anxiety and depression 
Um, mm. But I've realized that it can be a lot worse than that. And it's a lot broader than that. And like, mm. I, I still don't really understand how broad it is. And I'm sure a lot of mm. our listeners wouldn't either. <laughs> I suppose I, I've firstly got to say that I'm certainly not an expert. <laughs> um, of course, yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone working in mental health. I mean, we're all, we're all people in the end and we all have our own problems mm. and flaws. Uh, we can't, there's no way to, to understand you know someone else completely or to to completely Mm. know exactly what they're experiencing over time you know we've developed this system to diagnose or classify groups of symptoms into a a distinct illness but Mm. it is a it is a spectrum or it is um it is a bit of an umbrella because Mm. no two people can experience the same illness in the same way. Um, We're all all Mm. very different. And there's lots of different factors affecting our experience of of mental illness. So um, we just try our best to to understand and to, uh, from an outsider's perspective, have uh, some kind of opinion and and understanding of what's uh, going to be helpful um, in recovery. But, Mental health, I mean, like we, we all have mental health because, yeah. we, you know, we all have, my, we all have a mind. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's for, for us, it's less about treating the actual illness itself. It's more about treating the person and understanding the person. Um, and it's not mm. until you understand the person that you understand how to, to help them. Um, I guess it's, it's not like we have a hugely distinct set of skills or expertise. Um, we just try to do our best and, uh, you know, it doesn't always work out, but, um, you know, that's why we keep trying and, um, it's why we keep committed to, to doing what we do. So, Mm. yeah, I guess that's, that's my perspective on it anyway. Um. I don't know mm. if that's helpful, but... Uh, it, it reminds me of Solomon's story, one of our earlier guests. And I remember thinking about his story back in high school. And then when I heard his story um, in the podcast for the first time, I understood that like, I had no idea what was going on. Like you heard, I guess, rumors or you heard things like, oh, that happened and this happened. And I knew Solomon pretty well because um, I played like indoor cricket with him. But when I sat mm. down with him, I realized that the battle was continuous for him. And it wasn't just depression in high school for example he had so many other things going on um which stayed throughout and he's still fighting them in this current day um it just continues Mm. so it is so complicated and there's no set rules or principles exactly um and we don't see it's not like we see the same the same things every day um we see lots of lots of different stories and lots of different experiences um but yeah, sometimes there are some, some commonalities in, in the experience, but certainly you do have to look at it from a very individual perspective. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And mm. so it seems like, you know, the, the medical world and mental health has, it's, it's transformed a lot and you've developed new ways of thinking. Where do you see like the future of, of, your, of your career or the way we operate, you know, maybe a few years after COVID, I guess. Do you see mm. that, you know, there could be some significant changes coming about? Or I would hope that we do, as a community, have more resources to manage um, and to, to, deal with, um, to deal with mental illness in our community. Um, mm. You know, historically, our resources and funding have been very, very stretched and very limited. So... Mm. Uh, given it's such a huge thing that we need to focus on, we can't ignore it. Um, mm. It would be good, you know, in the future if we do get more more resources um, to be able to do so. Um, yeah. I would hope that, yeah, we, we continue to have more recovery focus and to uh, continue to, you know, see that stigma against mental illness breaking down. Um, because after all, you know, our patients are mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, and, uh, and friends, um, of, mm. of, of everyone else. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I would hope that we continue on a, on a good path. 
Um, it's hard to say how things will pan out in the future, but uh, yeah, I guess it's small steps and you've got to keep working towards achieving that, that goal of um, being, I guess, better equipped to, to deal with, uh, with the issues and, and to understand them as well. Yeah, well, I, we're on the right path, I guess, and that's what matters. So, yeah, well, we've touched on mm. we've touched on a lot of things, I guess. You know, therapy, mindfulness, um, stigma—it's it's a lot to take in. Um, mm. But I've definitely learnt I've, I've learnt I've learnt a thing or two today. Um, we like to finish off um, our podcast by like asking, I guess, what what advice would you give? Our audience and I've been asking like what advice would you give them for summer because we're we're entering summer and it's you know probably not the same as every other summer um, <laughs> and we have a lot of hopes um, what is what advice are you like giving giving yourself even like Ooh, um, I don't think I have general advice to give to be honest um, I I'm just gonna well, continue to try sorting out my own shit that's happening (laughs) um but no uh honestly i think um a a good place to start has been to just think about your own state of mind um you don't necessarily have to to make any drastic steps but just thinking Mm -hmm. about and identifying your emotions and feelings and thoughts um can be yeah, can be very helpful in, in starting if, if it is something that if, if, you know, you do have, uh, have difficulties that you, you need to sort out, um, thinking about it in the first place is helpful, which I would hope that some of your listeners would be doing because they're listening to a, a podcast about mental health. Um, so, yeah, that's always a great place to start. And, um, yeah, just look out for yourself, look out for each other. Uh, there's nothing too embarrassing or, or shameful about experiencing mental illness or, or seeking help. Um, that's a myth. And yeah. I'll definitely take that advice into summer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for, for taking the time to chat today, um, sharing your experiences and your ideas and thoughts. I've really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So. Thanks, Uji. Um, Thank this, you so yeah. much. No worries. Well, this is this is us signing out. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. Bye. And there you have it. That was Jen DeMello. So thank you so much for listening if you made it this far. Yeah, that's this is us for season one. We're finally done. If you've been listening throughout the season, uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you gained something from it. And yeah, thanks so much for tuning in every week, for supporting us. And we'll be back in a few weeks with season two. We have some really exciting guests lined up. Um, and we'll have more on our Instagram very soon. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned. We'll still be posting every few days. Yeah, take care.